1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of everybody's favorite group therapy session, Deep State Radio. I'm your host, David (laughs) Rothkoff, here in New York City. And I am joined in distant California by Corey Shockey in the middle of a rainstorm. Hi, Corey. How are you?
0: I am exceedingly well, David.
1: Excellent. That's extremely good. And in the general D.C. area, we have... Rosa Brooks, somewhere, I guess, in Alexandria, Alexandria, and Ed Luce on his sumptuous hundreds and hundreds of acres of Ed Luce Acres estate. <laughs> um, loose, stately, loose manor.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to dispute that.
1: Um, <laughs> both, both, I, I have to say, both Ed and Corey this weekend traveled, <laughs> Rosa. They left their homes and saw. The rest of America. I'm I'm very impressed by how you know intrepid they are. Corey, how was it to to actually go someplace else?
0: Well, it was wonderful to be out of the well-worn path between my study and my kitchen, Uh, (laughs) and it was delightful to be in the physical but socially distant company of smart, interesting people. But
1: I got to say, traveling was crummy. <laughs> uh, what about you, Ed? How was how you, were, you were in middle America. You were in the heartland.
2: I, I was. We went to see my parents-in-law in um, Chicago and then popped down to the in, Indiana dunes, or dunes as you call them, um, to, to, to see a friend. Wait a um, what was the difference between the
1: way you refer to them and the way we refer to them? Do you <laughs> like
2: tunes and tunes? Dunes, dunes and Dunes. And dunes. Yeah. There's wow. a little bit more of a sort of uh, vowelistic pleasure. There's a little, the, tiny- I feel like
0: this is the episode from Veep where the precious Silicon Valley CEO wants to be called Craig. Um,
2: <laughs> no, no. This is the uh, aluminium-aluminum episode of DSR, <laughs> of which there were several. <laughs> yeah,
1: of which there are all our
2: episodes. Yeah, all of the episodes. <laughs>
1: um, well, good. Um, so, I'm, I'm glad you're all back and healthy and uh, settled in. A lot is going on. You know, normally this is the dog days of summer, and there is supposed to be nothing going on. And of course, you know, in the days since our our, our, our last Monday episode, we've had a vice presidential pick on the, in, on the Democratic Party side. And today, the United States is beginning its first virtual um, political convention, which is uh, interesting, I suppose, uh, although I think conventions are really an, a, quite an anachronism, and I, I, I don't suspect they will be- rebound after this. Uh, but let's turn our attention someplace else, if we may. Um, we talk a lot about stolen elections in the United States. Uh, the most egregious example of a stolen election anywhere in the world recently took place in Belarus and the result was 200,000 people in the street, uh, police strike back, the videos of police striking back, could put on the internet, more people end up in the street. Um, and uh, the president of Belarus, uh, Lukashenko, reaches out to Putin and says, help me. And And we're now at that kind of interesting juncture in this story, where Vladimir Putin weighs his options, of how to help this guy who is in deep, deep trouble um, because he's an awful uh, authoritarian um, uh, uh, bad guy. Uh, So let's just go around and talk about what we think the significance of this is and where it all may go. And let me start with you, Corey.
0: I am so, it is so ennobling to watch the courage of the Belarusian people um in the hands of such despotism, that they are continually showing such bravery and demanding the the liberties that we take for granted is it's beautiful to see it's heartening to see I wish this Secretary of State were putting the resources, the bully pulpit, the encouragement, and um, the practical uh, abilities of the United States government to bear to help them in this transition. It was beautiful to see the videos of uh, Belarusian security force individuals taking their uniforms to the trash can. It's wonderful when security forces won't carry out the brutality that autocrats would want of them. I am nervous about what comes next because I fear that Vladimir Putin will feel this is a color revolution, much too encouraging to the long suffering people of Russia to be able to tolerate. Um, and it, it may not leave Lukashenko in power, but I have a hard time seeing Putin being willing to let Belarus have what the people of Belarus of Belarus want for themselves. So it's a really scary time for them. Uh, and I very much hope that Putin will realize that intervening in Belarus and the way he intervened in Ukraine uh, to try and destabilize a transition government and to penalize people for choosing a representative government that he will make the calculation that that its costs to him are greater than its benefits, but I'm not very confident that he will come to that conclusion.
1: Well, you know, Rosa, every four years, uh, Putin, you know, picks up a place <laughs> to invade. In uh, 2008, he did Georgia. In 2012, he did uh, Ukraine. Uh, uh, or That's
3: funny, David. It's almost like a coincidence,
1: except... <laughs> it's a, yeah yeah exactly um uh, and uh and and now we have uh uh Putin uh you know, being invited to play some role in this uh he's also by the way uh uh taken a a, a new interest in democracy i'm quite surprised at since i saw on russian television today photos of American mailboxes being stacked up and apparently RT is is very worried about the state of democracy in the United States what do you think might happen next right
3: uh, do, what do i think putin is going to do about the mailboxes being removed in the united states or what well, i going to, I, to that, well
1: either one either one i did, I, would, I didn't mean that but of course
3: i, I mean um so obviously not only is what uh, is what's going on in Belarus fascinating and, in equal parts, inspiring and terrifying to watch for its own right um, and important in its own right, but I think at this unique political moment here in the United States and around the world, that that a lot of us obviously are looking at what happens in Belarus as 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 a sign both of possibilities and dangers to come in this country with our own election coming up. Um, clearly the clearly the, the the more apocalyptic version of what happens here in November, um, and as you know I'm always championing apocalyptic visions of the future, is a potentially seriously disrupted election in which Trump will try to stay in power by false claims of voter fraud and so on. and And We've talked before about the exercises that the Transition Integrity Project did that, that Ed participated in and Corey helped shape at the very beginning um, and the ways in which all of those exercises really ended up with large crowds in the streets. Um, and I think a flaw in the way we designed those exercises just in terms of who was participating is that we didn't do a good enough job Uh with to have the right people to really think through what would happen if you had that kind of mass protest in the United States that was sustained over, over efforts to illegitimate efforts by Trump to stay in power. We had in one exercise Democrats calling for a general strike as we're beginning to see that in Belarus. Uh, we didn't really have the means to say, well, would that work here? Would that happen here? How would that, how would something like that play out here? And and I, I still don't know the answers to any of those questions, but you know, at the end of the day, it, this, is, this, this is the last refuge of pro-democracy, you know, pro-rule of law uh, uh, people in the face of an authoritarian regime determined to stay in power by all means is to turn out in very large numbers uh, and hope that that starts shaming enough others into, into making some concessions. And, you know, the optimistic and inspiring maybe question mark aspect of the protests in Belarus is that it does seem, as Corey said, to be having, having some impact, including on those who are closely associated with institutions of power, you know, security forces taking off their uniforms and uh, state TV anchors walking out and so on. And I could imagine in this country, you know, you could get protests that are so great that you do start peeling off even people Generally associated with the GOP view of the world in this coming election. Um, on the other hand, I, I think it's it also you know we're we're all watching and waiting. We're waiting to see if these protesters get get violently crushed, and that can happen too. And 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 uh, you know I, I have no idea what will happen, but. It's, it's an incredibly perilous moment. And I think the implications do go beyond Belarus. You, you know, Putin, I'm sure, is watching what happens here with great interest as well as trying to have an impact on what happens here. Uh, and I don't think, I, you know, I, I don't, I still don't know that his desire is to keep Trump as opposed to simply cause chaos and dissension and misery in the U.S., regardless of how he does that. Um, but I, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a sort of a scary time.
1: Yeah, it is. It is a sort of scary time. Uh, by the way, my I, I, my brain was working properly, but my arithmetic was not. He he does this every six years. He oh. the Crimea crisis <laughs> was in twenty uh, four, it, that fourteen.
3: Was a, uh, that was shaping up to be a really good conspiracy theory, though. David.
1: Well, it was every you know. Still, it's 2008, uh eight, twenty twenty. Uh, uh, Two years more or less. Fourteen, difference? and then now, so every six years. But in any event, Ed, um, uh, the. The the United States, uh, with an election looming and a a historical interest in democracy around the world, has remained remarkably silent in all of this. Uh, In fact, you know, the only notable thing the White House has said that's even in this neighborhood is that they seem to want Putin to come visit the United States before the election. Uh, what do you what 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 do you make of all of this? I mean, Mike Pompeo seems really interested in democracy in China, not so much in Belarus.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, a couple of very sort of tepid pro forma statements um, from Pompeo. Nothing from Trump. Um, this idea that Trump wants to meet Putin in person before November, the the pretext being that you have the, the start renewal. Um, for the nuclear for the nuclear deal, um, in which you know, Trump's shown little interest up until now, that it and that he could meet Putin after November to talk about because it expires early next year. Um, I know this um, Trump desire hasn't been stood up as a news story. It's not been corroborated. And Robert O'Brien, the National Security Advisor. Denied that Trump had formally requested that when he went on one of the Sunday morning shows yesterday. But it's exactly it's exactly what you'd expect Trump would want. So it wouldn't surprise me if if, if this it translates into to a formal request. Um, I would only be surprised if Trump did evince concern for the better Russians. I, 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 I'm not surprised by his stance on this. I don't think he gives a damn about democracy. I don't think um, there is any principle involved. Um, uh, he probably sees it as Putin's neck of the woods, and it, it, this is Putin's decision to make. Uh, a color revolution in Minsk, You know, which I think might be happening, um, and might be repressed um, or, or might just sort of go ahead. It depends on what the cost benefit analysis is in in Moscow ultimately. Um, a color revolution in in Minsk is not going to redound in any sense to to trump 's um, benefit from the way he sees the world and so i don 't expect the federal government to support it. I do hope that you know the global media and um and uh, civil rights groups and nato in terms of its positioning will will assist uh, at least morally um and if russia does send in support um which putin has said um he, he's prepared to do if there's an external threat if russia does send in support then we'll have to make a judgement but the one thing we know um is that trump is not going to be making any uh, any principled stance um, uh, in 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 uh, the Belarusian situation, and that's um, utterly unsurprising.
1: It seems, Corey, that, that if uh, if if there were a color revolution in in Belarus and and the, the the democracy forces looked like they were gaining an upper hand, that would be uh, an existential threat to Putin, who has seen substantial protests in his own country particularly recently um in the the far eastern part of his own country um and that he might intervene and by the way this this would immediately illustrate one of the great inconsistencies in the foreign policy of this administration of which there's so many um, but but, but you know we have we have American warships right now in the straits of Taiwan trying to send a message to the Chinese not to do anything in their neighborhood uh, while we consistently seem to give free rein to the Russians to do whatever they want in theirs.
0: yeah, I think the most egregious example of free range to the Russians is the suggestion by the President of the United States in the last few days that he would consider um, pardoning uh, traitor Edward Snowden, currently residing in Russia. Uh, I think President Trump's defenders try and say, but yes, ignore what he says. His policies on Russia have been tougher than anybody else's. Um, And I think there are two responses to that. First, Most of the aggressive uh, work against Putin's Russia has been done by the Congress, not been done by the president. And where, for example, the Congress has passed sanctions legislation, the administration has been slow, hesitant, or negligent in the application of the sanctions. And the second thing is... That uh, they act as though Russia's behavior has been constant and the administration has been tougher than previous administrations. The actuality is that Russia's behavior is increasingly dangerous, destabilizing, and uh, precipitates stronger American response, deserves stronger American responses that any administration would have taken because the circumstances have changed and become more demanding of more assertive American responses. So that President Trump has done more than, I don't know, George H.W. Bush isn't really the right standard because we're looking at a very different, more dangerous Russia than George H.W. Bush was looking at.
1: Um, yeah, I'm not sure that you could even make the case that he has done more than George H.W. Bush, but that's uh, or George W. Bush anyway. But 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 let's uh, pick up on something that Corey mentioned that I had wanted to bring up, um, Rosa, and that is the president's uh, seeming interest in pardoning Edward Snowden. Uh, this was met with uh, a lot of enthusiasm by one of the president's. Uh, Uh, most uh, unusual supporters, and that's Glenn Greenwald, um, who tends to support um, Trump whenever he says something pro-Russian and obviously has a stake in this Snowden story. Um, And uh, it's kind of an interesting twist for the president who really hasn't been that pro-whistleblower in the past. Um, So what do you make of it all?
3: So I, I, who knows, right? As with everything Trump does, it's a complete mystery what his motivations are, or if he can even be said to have a, a coherent uh, set of motivations to begin with. But but I, one thing I, I will say that he has been sometimes not terrible on, although sometimes uh, doing things for obvious nepotistic and personal protection reasons, um, he has used his pardon power for good as well as for bad in, you know, and he's, he's all over the place, right? So he has pardoned political cronies. Uh, He's, he's pardoned war criminals. Um, uh, He's pardoned political cronies so that they, to, to reward them for being loyal to him or to protect himself from things that they might, do or say in the future. Um, But he has also under pressure, I think actually this this does seem to be a Jared thing. And again, one of the few good Jared things is a a genuine, um, Jared has a genuine interest in prison reform because of his father's experience. Um, And Jared has been a force together with many outside actors to urge Trump to exercise his pardon power pretty broadly also, to pardon or commute the sentences of all kinds of ordinary criminal offenders, uh, some of whom had, you know, what look in hindsight like real miscarriages of justice in their convictions in the first place. Some of whom just had absurd sentences relative to their crimes. So, so he I, and I say that not to say that he should pardon Snowden, but simply to say that he does have a track record of using his pardon power pretty pretty widely. Uh, and in ways that are hard, to, and, and, and by ways that you can't entirely account for by ideology uh, or personal protection. Now, if I wanted to be, if I wanted to be paranoid, I could say that there are some, there is some logic to Trump pardoning absolutely everybody for every crime, particularly crimes that he suspects he himself might be subject to for future prosecution for, just to send the message of hey, it's all good, you know, you can do whatever you want. Right. Um, so who knows? I, I mean, who knows what is behind this? It certainly was a, a, a surprising uh, thing to see in the news feed, however.
1: I'd like to welcome a new sponsor to our show, Simply Safe. Here's the thing about home security companies. Most trap you with high prices, tricky contracts, and lousy customer support. So while there are a lot of options out there, there's only one no-brainer, Simply SimpliSafe. Simply safe has got everything you need to protect your home with none of the drawbacks of traditional home security. It's got an arsenal of sensors and cameras to blanket every room, window, and door, tailored specifically for your home. Professional monitoring keeps watch day and night, ready to send police, fire, or medical professionals if there's an emergency. You can set it up yourself under an hour. Just peel and stick the sensors exactly where you need them. No technician required. This was vouched for us by our engineer who just installed this system himself the other day and said it was great and easy. And there's no contract, no pushy sales guys, no hidden fees, no fine print. All this starts at only $15 a month. U.S. News and World Report named it the best overall home security of twenty twenty. Try Safe today at simplysafe.com slash radio, All one word. You get free shipping and a sixty day risk free trial. There's nothing to lose. That's simplysafe.com slash radio. Thank you. Well Ed, help me out here, you know, Uh, We're all, to some degree or another here, professional commentators on things. And so we're supposed to always have an opinion in a nutshell. Some of us are unprofessional commentators. Some are unprofessional, but we we do it a lot, nonetheless. And uh, I'm of two minds on the Snowden thing, both of them very strongly. So on the the one hand, you know, I, 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 I strongly believe that you shouldn't violate your national security uh, oats or the national security of the United States, and that the breach that Snowden did was extremely damaging to the United States, it's not a coincidence that he's ended up in russia um, and that you know that's a really, really bad thing and on the other hand, what he revealed needed to be revealed in some way because the United States was abusing uh, its authority, overreaching, uh, doing a lot of things, by the way, that uh, we we now accuse other governments of doing with their hair on fire. And so there was some value to what was done, and it was done in completely the wrong way. Um, so that's very complicated for me, but you have a much more sophisticated mind. So what's the opinion? I, I,
2: I don't, I, I do not, and and you you've given the sophisticated version of what I would have said, which is, which is simultaneously that no, you know, that no government can can tolerate one of its employees uh, leaking uh, state secrets. Um, uh, if you tolerate that, then then you you know, you don't have an intelligence um, system left, and you have to have an intelligence system. Um, and on the uh, but on the other hand, he had sort of the dual uh, serve the dual function there of a exposing the extraordinary sprawling vastness of uh, the America data uh, intelligence complex, Um, the fact that somebody very junior and not directly employed uh, like him could have got access to that massive trove of information, you know, had the sort of impact that a hacker might have um, of exposing both its weaknesses and its sprawlingness. So, you know, there is a service there. And then, second, there is, of course... um, the exposure of um, activities by the United States that were damaging to its allies and which, um, you know, ought to be corrected. So I share your ambivalence entirely, and I don't have, I don't have a more sophisticated view than the set of views than the, the ones you've just put forward. Nor do I have. Um, A grand theory as to Trump's motivation to pardoning um, Snowden, Um, I I I find it quite um, baffling. I don't think there's a grand voting demographic in in Glenn Greenwald. Uh, You know, I don't think that's uh, that's going to shift any votes um, in either direction. Um, I can't really see that there's that much um affinity between what snowden did and the various crimes that, tr- that trump has allegedly committed that would set a precedent um that might weaken any any um prosecution of trump if snowden is pardoned although that i mean i thought that was a, a, an interesting a plausible idea from rosa because that's that's how trump thinks um, so i i don't have any um, psychological insight into this decision other than to to say, well, you know, whatever we think about Trump, he does keep us on our toes sometimes.
1: Uh, yeah, well, you know, and, and, and inevitably somebody says, well, he's trying to distract from something else. Um, uh, but he does this every day. So I don't think that's true. I just think he does this every day because he wants to get attention every day and because his brain is not very, very um, disciplined. I had a really weird experience over the course of the past few days. Um, I, like everybody else, was outraged by the parent efforts to shut down the Postal Service um, to keep mail-in ballots from being distributed. Um, And, you know, we had Postal sorting machines uh, being taken out of offices, mailboxes being picked up, mailboxes being shut down, uh, slowdowns being reported by the postal workers union, and so forth. And so I, (laughs) like before, I went to bed on Friday night. I I I just wrote a tweet, and the tweet was, "Well, if the post office can't do it, maybe you know." FedEx or UPS or Amazon or somebody ought to do it. Uh, literally I, I gave this 10 seconds of thought. If, if that. I don't know if any thought went into it. but and, and then I you know I tweeted it out and I fell asleep and I woke up the next morning, and there had already been 150,000 responses to this thing. <laughs> um, by, the, by the next day, Kim Kardashian, and that's the main reason I'm bringing this up, had picked up the tweet and put it into her Instagram feed, which reaches galaxies. David, you're famous. Far, far, far far from here. Together. Um, And, 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 and according to, to, to Twitter, there had been 7 million impressions of this thing. Now,
3: you created you know, a monster.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was like now most of the response was, yeah, we ought to try that and basically my thought was just it wasn't, hey, let's, you know, help Fedex beat the postal service. It was like let's find a way to make sure that votes count. There's no forgiveness on Twitter. Yeah. Nope. Well, and, you know, some people were for it and some some of them ones were, you know, they were serious, you know sort of fairly serious people. It's not my point. My point is <laughs> obviously I hit a nerve, and obviously it's because people are afraid that the election is going to be rigged in the United States. And in part, this is because unlike 2016, where we had the Russian government and the shitty little Trump campaign colluding to help Trump win, we now have the Russian government allied with the U.S. government (laughs) trying to ensure that Trump win. This is the alliance that won the Second World War in In a war with with us and with our with our democracy and it's just struck me as such a bizarre and it's taking place at multiple levels it's not just mailboxes i mean there's the durham report there's the johnson committee there's there's you know efforts to suppress the vote and so forth and I just thought let's go around and hear what different people's reactions are to this either as a as a national security phenomenon because of the foreign involvement or just to where we are in terms of, you know, the, the the future of American democracy. And sorry to go on like that, but it was a weird experience. I had to get it off my chest. Corey.
0: Uh, so the first thing is I cannot resist correcting that this is not a reunion of the World War II alliance.
1: Okay. Um. okay. <laughs> okay. Well, it looks like it, okay? It's a I, little I similar.
0: Totally, I totally understand you needed to get it off your chest, David, but... It is my job as the prim school teacher of this uh, to police bad historical analogies. Okay, Uh, okay, fine. Second, second thing is that I do think it's really dangerous what the administration's doing to, in the middle of a pandemic, to impede with some of the only connectedness, in particular, that rural Americans have. People need to get medicines. They need to get. Important, uh, important checks in the mail, uh, all of those things. So, so uh, it's super dangerous to be doing this now and it really does scare me that it is being done with the intent to prevent confidence in an electoral outcome that I very much hope the president will lose. The third thing I would say is that Weirdly, for an administration where the president is in constant, enervated contact with the country by Twitter, this administration is terrible at communications. Because there may plausibly be an explanation for this, but you wouldn't know it from listening to anybody in the administration. The president says he has no idea what they postmaster general's doing. The postmaster general can't explain why 95% of the rapid mail sorting machines in the country have been taken out of. Like, if there is a a plausible, reasonable, managerial explanation for this, they haven't given it. And Three and a half years into an administration that deserves no trust from us as American citizens, it's just shocking that if they have a decent story to tell, they don't st- tell it because that's what's making me as a taxpayer so scared by what it is I project that they are doing, which is trying to corrode the institutions of civic society and governmental process in the United States and remain in power at any and all cost.
1: Yes. Um, Rosa. Yes. I, I mean,
3: no, It, it it's, <laughs> it's, it's stunning. The brazenness of Trump's uh, tweets is of course stunning. Um, the, open acknowledgement, you know, it's bad enough to claim based on nothing whatsoever that mail-in ballots are all going to be fraudulent and to draw this completely insane distinction between his own mail-in ballots, which are totally fine, and anybody else's mail-in ballots, which will all be fraudulent, um, I mean, that's bad enough, and that's incredibly irresponsible and and, and obviously intended to undermine uh, public confidence in the results, intended to lay the groundwork for a challenge to election results he does not like, uh, if it appears that um, the absentee or mail-in ballots once counted do in, involve a blue shift of some sort and shift to Biden. Um, so that in itself is bad enough. Um Suddenly defunding and reorganizing the post office and laying off senior people and removing mailbox boxes, you know, less than three months before an election that everyone is very concerned about during a pandemic uh, also seems like a really ill-advised idea (laughs) just in general. Then this is obviously not to say, could the post office be improved in all kinds of ways? Sure. Maybe those mailboxes really would be better in some other place. Who knows? Who can say, you know, maybe those rapid mail counting machines all need to be recalibrated at some point and now it's just their their time in line to be recalibrated. But as Corey says, just the optics of doing that right before a contested election are, are poor. But then the brazenness of Trump who doesn't even bother to pretend that there's no connection with these things. So even if there was no connection, he's sure making it seem like there is. He's basically saying, I'm not gonna fund the post office because then people might actually vote by mail is just right. stunning, stunning. Um, and also, as usual, there's no way to know whether this is all part of a Trump-directed conspiracy or whether this is some random, demented late-night Trump tweet uh, going on here. And probably we will not find out until a long time from now, for sure. Um, but but it's, it is important to keep saying You know, as obviously everybody on this podcast is doing over and over, this is not normal. This is absolutely not normal. You know, neither of these things are normal. The two things together are not normal. The post office is an institution created by the United States Constitution. It's not some Johnny-come-lately partisan institution here, right? This is kind of about as bedrock as it gets when it comes to American government institutions, uh, and, you know, the right to vote. Uh, the franchises obviously had to be expanded um, over, over the centuries through relentless struggle by the people initially shut out of it. But we regard the right to exercise the franchise as an absolutely fundamental American constitutional right. And, and to see a sitting U.S. president so shamelessly assault both of these institutions really is just stunning to me.
1: Uh, no doubt. Ed, next Monday, the Postmaster General has agreed to testify in front of uh, the House uh, uh, Oversight Committee. I think, and uh, I look forward particularly to the uh, uh, interaction he has with Representative Katie Porter, who's one of my favorite representatives and who always comes uh, with facts and well prepared for these kinds of things. Uh, but then, you know, how what will follow that is probably the House. Uh, saying, hey, let's pass a bill, and then the Senate will say, hey, let's not pass that bill. Um, and, you know, Trump may be, as has been implied in, in some of our discussions, you know, the worst criminal ever, but he seems to get away with it all the time. Uh, how do you, you know, I mean, do you, how do you look at this and and maintain your optimism about American democracy?
2: Uh Trump clearly thinks that whatever pain Americans might feel economically and, uh, and generally in their lives between now and November, the damage to him of that pain would be way outweighed by the damage to him of um, having a reasonably well-funded and, and well-oiled um, USPS Um, For November, otherwise, otherwise, he'd be passing a bill that most presidents would see as Christmas: three trillion dollars of stimulus, uh, less than three months before a general election for an incumbent president running for re-election is Christmas. You, you cannot. You cannot. If he passed
1: that bill, you'd be outraged on some level that he was just sending checks to voters right before the election. Right? I mean, exactly.
2: And he would doubtless be getting his name put on, you know, whatever he could get his name put on. Um, uh, this is overwhelmingly in his self interest to get this bill through. Um, uh, but because there's $25 billion of funding for USPS and then a separate $3.6 billion item that will be for states to upgrade to the extent they've got time to upgrade their um, election um, infrastructure, um, he will not sign this bill. I mean, talk about cutting off your nose to spike your face. Um, so, I don't know. I think, I think Corey is, is very characteristically generous in saying, you know, there might be a managerial explanation here. Um and rosa is 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 correct in saying, no, there isn't. Trump keeps giving the game away. Um, you know the the USPS could uh, could be reformed at any time, and um, surely, because of the nature of technology, um, it, it is going to have to undergo continuous reform um, to you know take into account not just improved delivery services but also the you know changing nature of email and internet career, career technology, etc. Um, the, the fact that this guy, Louis DeJoy, or Louis DeJoy, is, is, um, only now saying that these are desperately, desperately needed business restructuring reforms to the USPS that might just, by really unfortunate coincidence, interrupt, um, interrupt the, um, uh, universal franchise to which Americans are all entitled in November is, is, Extraordinary, and and so when you say what is it that Trump would do that would outrage people, you know I don't know. I, ex- I expect we will find out. It, it, it's going to be tested. There are going to he is going to on November the third do do something like say, well, any votes counted after de- today are fraudulent. Anything counted after today is fraudulent, and a lot of people are going to agree with him, and many are probably going to believe him. Saying, yeah, it's fraudulent. We had a vote. A vote happens on the day. You're moving the goalposts. Um, so, you know, we laugh, but he chips away at this, his, um, echo chamber then, um, amplifies it. Um, it gets repeated again and again in this loop. Um, and a lot of people, um, have had sufficient doubt cast in their minds about whether, you know, there's anything fair about sending a vote by mail and let alone opening it after polling day. So, you know, Trump is not ineffective, um, in, um... In creating doubt about, you know, um, the, the most basic things. You know, is it daylight today? Well, I thought it was, but you know, maybe maybe I've just got an eye problem. Um, he's um, there is method to this madness, but as I say, I think it's a sort of uh, it, it's it's a very it, it, from a larger picture, it's a very self defeating madness. That the, there is there would be far greater method to passing a big stimulus.
3: And just one very small talking point for all of our listeners to, I hope, repeat ad nauseum to everyone who will listen and put out there on Twitter. The notion that there is going to be a result on election day is a ab- recent development. And it's, you know, it's a result of the rise of, of TV network news broadcasts doing projections, uh, uh, as well as improving technologies. But but there, for most of American history, there's been no assumption that you have a result on election day or, or the wee hours of the following morning. The assumption has been that because we're an enormous country and precincts do have their own voting methods, uh, that it's going to be days, maybe longer, maybe weeks, uh, before we have a result because it is more important to get things right than to do it fast. And I think in a pandemic, you know, really driving home that message of, do not let anybody tell you that any vote that comes in after election day is 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 fraudulent. You know that's that's crazy stuff. Um, but you know that we need to focus on doing this right, not on doing it fast. Because if we do it fast, we'll do it wrong.
1: I suppose, Corey, you like that historical point. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I believe I hear just the slightest tinge of resentment undercurrent in your uh, no, commentary, David, no, which I no. find quite surprising. No but no. yes, I do agree <laughs> with that, that, that the day the election becomes decided is when the Electoral College certifies the count. And that's what, December 8th, January 6th? Rosa, please correct me.
3: Uh, January 6th, I believe and and i would further add that donald trump should be careful what he wishes for because if there is ambiguity up to inauguration day he doesn't stay president while the while the ambiguity is resolved <laughs> if it's not clear who is president that gets then it's 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 acting president nancy pelosi the speaker
0: of the house Fabulous. Well, that, yeah, okay, be. can I just can I just tip my hat to the founding fathers or whoever in the twentieth amendment to the constitution figured out that succession?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, it it certainly makes this all a little bit more interesting. Uh, obviously, we'll we'll keep talking about this as we as we go forward. I think next week's uh, hearings with the postmaster general should be quite interesting. I guess none of us expected that we would all be so interested in the postmaster general um, (laughs) at this point. The
0: last interesting postmaster general, by my calculation, was Benjamin Franklin.
1: Correct. The first postmaster general who became postmaster general a year before we were even a Country I think um, <laughs> it was it was more important to have a postmaster general than it was to have a country at that point um, in any event uh, we certainly um, uh, have 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 a lot to track here um, and uh, we will do so on our our, our regular shows. Uh, we will continue uh, throughout uh, August doing a couple of shows um, a week and uh, covering these events around the world and at home and we will be fortunate because we will have uh, our regulars like these folks back again uh, for more uh, about what we're doing. Go to the dot uh and uh, uh, you'll see what we've got skip scheduled and uh, you'll start to see some other things we've got. We're, we're cooking up for the fall. As you know, we were planning on doing a big event in June and then it got pushed till mm-hmm. September. But of course we can't do, uh, an event in the current circumstances. So we're going to we're gonna do what everybody else does, and that is come up with some virtual events that we can do between now and the election. And we'll announce those very soon. Uh, and in the meantime, thank you, Rosa. Thank you, Corey. Thank you, Ed. Thanks to all of you out there. By the way, Ed had an excellent piece today uh, in the FT about Bidenomics. It's a real sort of deep dive into the economic uh, uh, thinking of the potential next president of the United States. Congratulations on that, Ed, and I encourage everybody uh, to go to the FT and read that. Uh, And with that, uh, be well and uh, stay safe.